Welcome back to Cinema Trip Reviews. I am Wyatt and this is Alex this week. Last week we had to put this episode off due to some unfortunate circumstances, but here we are celebrating the 20th anniversary of Kill Bill directed by Quentin Tarantino. And what better day to record this on is Quentin Tarantino's birthday itself. So I mean, we, we couldn't have picked a better day for this to happen. It's like yeah. fate. Yeah, it needed to be pushed off for this. <laughs> uh, before we get into the video, of course, uh, for anybody that's new to the channel, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Go tell your friends about us. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Drop in, leave us a good review. This is probably one of not only one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies, but probably one of my favorite movies in general. I not just the, the Kill Bill series, but more so Kill Bill Volume One is a masterpiece. Man, I, yeah, I absolutely love this movie. It's a, it's a very good movie. It's a movie I actually got to late. I watched many Tarantino films before I got to Kill Bill. I didn't probably watch it until I was like 19. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was way late in my life. I don't know why I avoided it. I just, I mean, I didn't avoid it. It just never came up in life. Yeah. I would say this is probably one of my first Tarantino movies. Uh, it's it's definitely, probably this and Pulp Fiction are probably one of the first two I saw. I, I remember actually getting this one and Volume 2 like as they came out on DVD and I remember getting it and like not even seeing it. I was like, "Oh, this looks awesome!" And I remember like as it was releasing, like MTV at the time, they had like the documentary on like the making of Kill Bill, and I just remember watching it. It's just like, "Oh, I'm so excited for this!" And the only real Quentin Tarantino movie I saw at that time was Pulp Fiction. So it's like, what what could I expect from this movie? It's like a genre film that kind of pulls from all these different like kung fu and like samurai movies and stuff. I absolutely love this, and it is like a love letter to like the great genre movies, not just like samurai movies or you know that kind of, or kung fu movies, but other stuff as well. And as I'm gonna get into here, the whole movie it, it puts you right into it with the soundtrack, and that's a lot of things that Quentin Tarantino is known for is like the soundtrack in his movies, specifically the Kill Bill Volume One and Two. He all the music in this are pulled directly from soundtracks within his collection. He said like. Everything yeah, that you hear in this movie is from a soundtrack that he owns and that he's fallen in love with from because Quentin Tarantino just has this vast knowledge and just a library of movie knowledge in his brain somehow. I don't know how he has seen all these movies. He's just off the top, off his dome, referencing movies I've never even heard of, man. It's wild to hear him talk about some of this thing. So it's no surprise to see some of these things that he's pulled from different movies, whether it's soundtracks or just scenes in general. We've talked about it on our Death Proof review. If you haven't seen that one, go check it out. About how every now and then he'll rip like a certain shot or a certain scene or a line from somewhere and he'll kind of make it his own and give it its own life within his movie. So you kind of see a lot of that in this one, but I, I can't say really enough great things about this movie though. Yeah. Now that this movie, I mean, there's a reason it is what it is. I remember, I do remember when it came out, it was a cultural phenomenon. I remember mm -hmm. the yellow jumpsuit everywhere, kill bill everywhere. And I do remember them releasing um, yeah. Like I said, I don't know why I didn't watch them, but I do remember the absolute phenomenon this movie was when it came out. Yeah. Tarantino, man. It's Tarantino. It's Who love Tarantino? Tarantino, man. Yeah, and as everybody I'm sure knows, he just announced his like 10th and most likely last film. He said he's always going to do 
10 films and i guess it's about like a like a, a movie critic back in like the 70s or something who knows it's, it'll probably yeah. be like two and a half three hours long gonna be, be some wild shit a lot of talking i cannot wait for that one i'm a huge i mean we're both huge quentin tarantino fans i would love to just do more reviews down the line of every now and then of some some of his stuff Hey man, I I was showing you earlier. I got this big box set. I can start going through it, man. There's yeah, some movies I haven't seen in here. I rem. There's still some movies you haven't seen in it. Yeah, dude, I've never seen Reservoir Dogs. What? Um, I've never seen Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown is is underrated when it comes to Quentin Tarantino. I feel like I, I own it, it doesn't get enough credit. I love Jackie. They're in Brown. here. I just I mean, I've never seen it. Perfect time to do it is for a review at some point. Yeah, <laughs> I've um, always wanted to watch Reservoir Dogs. Less about Jackie Brown. I'm more excited for Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, Reservoir Dogs is, is a good one too. Especially see, like it's his first movie, so I yeah. mean, just to see how great that it turned out for being his first movie, it's it's pretty wild to see. Uh, but this one here was made for thirty million dollars, and it made one hundred eighty million dollars uh, worldwide. Now he did film this all. I mean, Volume One and Volume Two. He filmed them at the same time because he actually genuinely wanted to put it out as one movie he was going to make a four hour long movie just of all this and they're like "Eh, i don't know if anybody's going to actually come and sit down at the theater for four hours i mean now it's like genuine practice that a movie's like around two and a half three hours now that's a normal i feel like uh but yeah i mean at the time it was like four hours i don't know i don't know if that'll go over with people so they decided to split it up and they released it i I believe like six months apart or something like that really that Um, fast yeah that fast uh, hmm. But yeah, it, he totally wanted to be one whole movie, and apparently he does have a, a one cut of it called The Whole Bloody Affair, and he does show it at his movie theater in like L.A. at, at certain times, apparently, but there's added scenes. Some of it's cut down to make it kind of fit together real nice. Uh, I guess that it's, it is rearranged a little bit at certain parts, and it it would be awesome to see, especially like yeah. in his movie theater and everything. Yeah. It would be awesome. Be and cool. it's on like, I think all of his movies that he shows in a theater are on 35 millimeter print. So like you're getting that old like theater feel and everything. Yeah. I think an- another one of the things that's in there is he, he colorized the, the famous crazy 88's fight scene at the end. That's actually on YouTube. If anybody's interested, you can go check out that fight scene in, in full color and everything. A reason why they did that is not only to get past the MPAA sensors, at the time, but it was also kind of a, a, a like a homage to old Japanese like samurai movies. Whenever they showed them on TV in like in the U.S. and everything, because the MPAA and everything, they purposely made them black and white to kind of show out that so you couldn't see the red and the blood and the violence and stuff. So that's another reason he kind of did it. But the MPAA was on his back, you know, as, as always, as, as always. they tend to do. So that was another part of the decision as well. 450 gallons of blood were used between both films. A majority of that was used in this movie alone because, I mean, I think there's, I saw there's only like six deaths, five deaths in the second one, whereas in this one, there's there's a ton. There's so many people dying in this movie. At least 88 of them. Yeah, at least 88 of them. (laughs) Uh, $60,000 of the budget was used for swords and swords accessories, and that's it. That's that's straight $60,000 out of the budget. Interesting enough, Jack Nicholson, Mickey Rourke, Burt Reynolds, and old Kurt Russell himself were uh, up for the roles of Bill for these mm-hmm. two movies. It's hard to imagine anybody else kind else, of filling yeah. that role. I mean, because David Carradine, you don't really see him at all in this first volume. You see him in the second one. You hear him. He's there in this one, but you don't see him at all. 
We're not really going to talk too much about part two. We'll save that for a later day, though. Part two. So don't expect us going. We didn't want to do a, a four-hour review here or a three-hour review talking about both movies. So we decided to split those up. Maybe like, we'll where, cut them together. Hey, <laughs> I still I should do that with the Grindhouse ones eventually. Yeah. Unlike traditionally, this movie is actually shot in in order. Most movies, you know, take the easier shots first and then do the harder ones later. However, you know, you can schedule it for time. This one, he decided to go straight through the script, film it piece by piece, which is when you look at some of the stuff in the movie in the very beginning, like that's some heavy shit to go into, like first and foremost. And then like the action sequences, like the first fight in the first 15 minutes of the movie. (laughs) Like my my favorite part, Vivica J. Fox. Oh, yeah. She was great. I love that scene. But the idea for this movie actually came up between Uma Thurman and Quentin Tarantino while they were making Pulp Fiction. They came up with the idea of like the the blood spattered bride. Uh, And they actually just came up with just that shot. The first shot you see of the movie of her all beaten and bloody, that close up shot. That was really the first like Uma Thurman's idea. Like she thought that would be a cool character. And then Quentin Tarantino kind of went off on his own and developed the story and wrote the script and everything. But that's why like the very end of the movie, you see like in the credits story by Quentin Tarantino and yeah, you and Q, I forget which order it is, Uh, but it's because they both came up with the story and wrote the character of the bride. Now, a lot of famous people in this movie here. We got Uma Thurman. We got Lucy Liu, Vivica A. Fox, Sony Chiba as a Hotori Hanzo in this movie. He's a famous like, movie star, a kung fu movie star and everything. Uh, Daryl Hannah's in it. David Carradine, like I mentioned. Uh, Michael Madsen, he's only in just a brief, brief part of this movie. Uh, again, much lo- second one he's born. Yeah, in. he's in most of the yeah. second one there. Yeah. And I'm, man, I'm, I hope I don't butcher this name. Chiaki Kiriyama. Uh, but she plays Gogo in the, in the movie. You see her throughout. So, I mean, we might as well get right into it, man. Kill Bill Volume 1. Like I mentioned, it come, opens up with that first shot. I mean, first you get that that famous like kind of grindhouse opening, and then like the old like kind of Toho like Japanese opening to the movie. But you have like the grindhouse like feature presentation thing, like you yeah. get at the beginning, like a uh, like Death Proof and and everything. Uh, but yeah, you get that first shot that Uma Thurman and Quentin Tarantino came up with of the the bloody beaten bride, the close up shot. She's like looks like she's chipped a tooth, her eyes all like bruised up and everything and like you know it's bill that's talking to her because he wipes her head with like that handkerchief and it has his name coincidentally just on it so you know who she's talking to good visual storytelling yeah he's like this is you think this is me at my most sadistic and then he's like this is me at my most like masochistic or whatever he says kind of a weird thing to say when you murder a whole group of people in a room and then you you know kill a bride you know but you don't know this true story behind everything as of yet, but you'll find that out through the course of this movie and definitely more so in volume two yeah. about the actual scene at the, the wedding chapel there. This one's not really story heavy. This one's just a revenge film. It doesn't really give you what's going on until the second one. Yeah, there is some some story a stuff, but bit. it mostly re- revolves around the just the people in this movie and just the people yeah. in this film. Like Ora and Ishii and... and uh, Number two, like Vivica A. Fox's character, which coincidentally is chapter one, which is Absolutely. titled two, <laughs> number two. Uh, but I love just that opening scene because it's just so it really shocks you because like they have that quick little like Dave Carradine's talking to her that like I just mentioned. And then she starts to, as soon as she starts to speak. 
bam, you get that she gets shot right in the head, and it goes right into like the Nancy Sinatra song uh, "Bang Bang," which is such a great way to start the movie. Yeah, that's a good song. Just that like twang and like the reverb on the guitar and everything, man. But yeah, it goes right in like that chapter one, and she pulls up right outside of Vivica A. Fox's crib. You get through like a suburban. Yep, just a suburban like little neighborhood. She pulls up in that weird looking truck which you don't really have a story on as of yet, which we'll get Puss, to. It's the pussy wagon. It's the pussy wagon. Uh, but she shows up for number two, which is like codenamed Copperhead, which is Vivica A. Fox. And I and like you get through the rest of the movie and through part two, that famous, like she opens up that door and that stare down. <laughs> and immediately just start fucking fighting in this and they go around that whole house just whooping each other's ass throwing each other through tables whipping knives at each other it's a great fight scene to kick off the movie man yeah again no you don't even know what's going on it's just basically the first like like, what the actual scene he's like (laughs) all right and like you see like as they're fighting in like the living room they have that like that little standoff with a knife and you see uh that bus pull up outside and her daughter gets out as soon as she like walks in the house they just oh everything's fine don't worry and like her (laughs) yeah blood running down her face and her like her excuse was like that asshole dog yours came in and just ran ran amok across the house (laughs) she's like sparky did this it's like i don't remember the dog's name but just go to your room We'll figure this out. And then they actually kind of have that, like, a, a little conversation in the kitchen. And she's like, you think we're even? Like, we're far from even. She even, like, has a reference to Pulp Fiction in that. She's yeah. like, we're in, then we can be, like, square. It doesn't show the, the outline like it does in Pulp Fiction. But she yeah. even does, like, then we'll be square. She talks because about killing she, her kid and stuff. Yeah. She's like, she's like, if we're going to be even, I'd go in there and kill her, too. You know, I'd wait for your husband and I'll kill him, too. Yeah. And it's sassy, sassy dialogue. Yeah. She's like, especially Vivica A. Fox. She's like, bitch. I should have been Black Mamba. I should have been Black Mamba. <laughs> don't make no damn sense. But yeah, she's like, bitch, if we were even, I would go in there. I would kill your girl. And then I would wait for your husband to come home and kill him, too. Yeah. I'm just like, damn, that, that's some heavy shit. But you think she's like, I, like I gotta get my daughter breakfast or whatever, and she like pulls out that she has the gun just coincidentally hidden in the the cereal box. It's like, does she switch that gun every time they get a new cereal just in case? Yeah. And also, why is she making her breakfast? Why is she getting her cereal? She, she just it's, came home from school. school, right? It's like, it's it's lunch at least. Like, what are you getting her cereal for? Now that I remember, it's like the the line she says is like, you will never be even, even Steven. Or whatever. It's like, even there's a couple of different of those lines. Like, there's one with Oren Ishii we'll get to later, where it's like a weird, like the, the tricks are for kids line, she says later. It's like, oh, that's yeah. just a weird little line Quentin Tarantino would throw in there. You know? It's a very Tarantino-esque dialogue. It's yeah. like, you know it's him. You're like, all right, that's Tarantino. <laughs> But you have that she it's it happens so fast where she just pulls like pulls up the box and shoots and she just sticks her with that knife and as soon as she moves out of the way you see her daughter just standing there and that's where all these years later you still get those rumors about oh Kill Bill Volume Three possibly maybe even Tarantino like and Uma Thurman saying like I mean it could happen you never know yeah. talk about it. Well, uh, I love this scene too. She's talking to the daughter and she's like, if and when you grow up, if you're still, you know, feeling some type of way about it, come get me. Yeah. And that's like it's, the exact quote too. If you're feeling a certain yeah. type of way about it, I'll be waiting yeah. for you. I'll be waiting. And so, I mean, 
we obviously know where the part three would go if that happened. So it's just a matter of will it happen w- in some capacity. I'd watch it. I totally would watch it, man. But as you see, whenever she gets back in her truck, she has her like notepad with all the names on it. And she already has one coincidentally crossed out, Oranishi, which is going to be the main plot of the movie. So we're kind of going to be jumping back in time a little bit. It's a lot of jumping back and forth because you start here, you start at the beginning of the movie, you start with her getting shot. It jumps way far in the future with her, you know, killing number two, Vivica A. Fox. And then it's going to jump back in the past again to kind of see where it pick up from what happened to her after she got shot and everything. So she kills the Lucy, not Lucy. Yeah, it's Lucy Lou, right? Yeah. Before she kills a Vivica J. Fox? In the terms of the movie continuity, yes. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah when well, she then, after she kills Vivica A. Fox, she gets in her truck and Oren Ishii's name is already crossed out. I have a lot of questions about this (laughs) so she like woke up train got her sword went to japan or whatever killed her and then came back to the states to kill a fox and we're not i mean we're gonna spoil everything eventually she kills this guy that she steals this this truck from and i already have a note in here because it like when she's trying to shake her foot it's like 13 hours later i was like they didn't find this dude's body for 13 hours where they wouldn't look for his car so now you're telling me she went to park this car in a fucking airport somewhere somewhere flew to japan came back got back in this car that she stole and then went i'm like it does raise more questions now that you think about it because these are terrible cops i've seen this movie so many times and specifically on this rewatch i even thought about like what you just said was like she's in that truck for 13 hours nobody found that body or two bodies and nobody's investigating this shit already (laughs) blood everywhere and it's his truck it's not like and listen i'm sure other people know he drives his fucking truck it is a very i feel like everybody would know yeah they would they'd be like the first place they looked (laughs) there's a dead body in here go check his truck go check his truck why is his keys missing he doesn't have keys (laughs) he doesn't have keys how'd he get here oh maybe go check his truck Right, it's the and, it's the yellow one that says pussy wagon. You won't miss it. You're not gonna miss it, and even if it's yeah. gone, you you think they would be looking for it because it's missing, right? Yeah, and then it goes into an airport, a highly secure airport parking lot. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. I guess I guess she could have put it stashed it somewhere, but it's just it's all right. That raises a lot of questions for me. It really does. It, it, I, but we don't you don't have to think about that. You're, you're already diving in too deep into it. <laughs> what one of my one of my minor, 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 minor complaints was in this scene too with Vivica J. Fox. Um, I don't. I know they never say her name throughout the movie. I know we do know her name. Yeah, they did. Uh, but they never say. It. They bleep it out. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Felt like when I saw this movie before, they were more creative with that. Like I feel like they just bleep it, and I was like, ah, that's not creative. Yeah, I wish the they beep. would like. Yeah, I wish it was like the <laughs> horn honking from the bus or something. You know, like yeah, in every something scene like in the background it. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's my very minor complaint because it feels very forced when they like purposely bleep it. Which I don't know why they. I just because they wanted her to be called the bride. And yeah, I guess yeah. so. Or her or Black Mamba. Or Black Mamba, yeah. But yeah. they do, they blank her name out. Coincidentally, since you bring that up, because they do bleep her name out, there is, if for those eagle eye fans of the movie that can catch it, there's two spots in the movie when she gets her, like, when she flies to certain places, they stamp her ticket. And if you look closely on her ticket, it does show her name. And yeah. you've, I mean, if you're, it happens so fast, you just have to pause it or like a, you have to be very detail oriented to see those type of things. It I couldn't see it. And I, I was looking for it. I couldn't see it. I mean, you would have to pause it. 
it makes the trickster for kids line a little bit better too if when you know her name <laughs> her name's beatrix i don't yeah. know what's her last name it's beatrix something. uh I don't kiddo uh beatrix kiddo and beatrix he calls her kiddo, kiddo sometimes yeah he calls the her kiddo up. which it makes sense because he calls her kiddo in this movie but like anybody can call anybody really kiddo so I mean, yeah. you don't expect it to be your name but it yeah. makes sorry, a lot of sense I, I, when you do figure it out I got us way sidetracked. I'm sorry. <laughs> you good, you were, man? You were you were blowing my mind with this time hop. I was like, what? Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it goes back and forth, but for the most part, through the rest of this movie, we are going to be following that that one story here now. Because, like I mentioned, after she kills Vivica A. Fox, it goes to chapter two, titled "Blood Spatter Bride," which it goes back four years and six months earlier, and it goes right to whenever. Michael Parks rolls up and you don't right. you get to see Michael Parks in these two movies. I mean, you don't see him too much, but I mean, it's cool to see Michael Parks in anything. Yeah, uh, he cool rolls up in that like in his cop car and he has like eight pairs of sunglasses lined up yeah. on his dashboard and everything. And I, it's cool because as they're walking through like the chapel, whenever he like you see his POV and it's like green tinted because he's wearing his glasses and then he pulls them off and it goes back to the regular color. It's really cool. But there's like calls nine, son, like young and old. He's like, go get the old one, <laughs> or <laughs> whatever he calls him. Uh, but there's like eight or nine dead bodies in there, and they're investigating, talking about everything. And he's like, he's talking about. It always weirds me out when they're in some of these movies where they're like talking about these dead people, and especially Michael Parks is like, look how beautiful she is, and like, oh, yeah. she's got a great figure on her, or whatever, and like, oh, she's dead, dude. <laughs> It's, it's so, and it gets even more uncomfortable once you get to the hospital and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, as he's talking about it, she like spits in his face. He's like, "This cocksucker bitch ain't dead." It's like you get shot in the head. Like I feel like you're not gonna be conscious, but at the same time, you're gonna kind of know what's going on, right? Like you're not passed out if you're you're sort of there. Mm. I don't know. That's kind of weird. I, or else she's in a coma currently. I don't know. I think she's already in the coma because they. They say later in the thing that she still spits. So I think, like, she doesn't hear it. <laughs> they said in the hospital, she's a spitter. They say, she's a spitter. She said it's a, a nervous tick or something. He's like, she yeah. still spit. Probably so because the, of getting shot in the head. Yeah. It's like I, something. In the I brain. think she is still in a coma at this point, too. It cuts a little bit into the future, not, not the full four years or anything back again, but it cuts a little bit in time. She's in her hospital bed, she's in that coma. This is what a lot of people know Kill Bill for is the whistle song. <laughs> and it's Ellie Driver played by Daryl Hannah walking through the hall the hallways of the hospital and the whistle song's playing. She's like in her new nurse uniform. And I love just the great direction of this movie because you're getting like the split screen shots and the cameras of like her laying in the bed while she's walking down the hallway a lot of great like camera a, work she looks like a fake nurse though like a sexy halloween nurse it does it looks like a costume <laughs> and it's great because she's not a real nurse but like she's in there getting ready she's putting on her gloves and she comes out and she her eye patch has like the the medical oh, cross on it. Like this is this is a sexy nurse costume. Who you it straight for? up is. And how did nobody like question her in this hospital yeah. she's like, uh, I don't recognize you. I have a little suspicious. You look ridiculous. Here. You look ridiculous. That's not our standard nurse garb. What are you doing? <laughs> I like um I'm sure you've heard it, but the, they remixed the song and it's Chill Bill now. They remixed Chill the Bill. whistle. With, yeah, which is a it's actually a catchy song. I listen to it all the time. Oh. Yeah, apparently it is from a 1969 British horror 
movie called Twisted Nerve. I actually had that written down here. I've never seen it. I, I haven't even heard of it. That's just like one of the many things that Quentin Tarantino is like, oh, I just remember that track from this old movie I watched. It, it would be perfect for this scene. <laughs> do this whistle. She's actually come to to pretty much kill Uma Thurman while she's in the coma. And she even like, you should be grateful. Like in our line of profession, not a lot of people get to go out peacefully like this. So I'm kind of doing yeah. you a favor here. Uh, and then she gets that call from Bill. She's like, oh, how's she doing? She's like, well, she's doing how she's been doing for a while. She's in a coma. And she's like, and he's like, all right. And this is another thing I don't get is like, why would he send her there knowing she's in a coma? And then he calls her and just like, you know what? Abort the mission. We're just, Change we've done it. We've done enough to this woman. We don't, we're not going to sneak in like rats in the night and kill her while she's asleep. It's like, then what was the point of you sending her there in the first place? Just, <laughs> just to have the scene. <laughs> yep. Have that whistle and have that scene. He changed his mind. He's like, change my mind. Go back. I changed my mind. And yeah. oh, she's pissed too. She's just like, She's like yelling and screaming. She's like, you told me I could do this. <laughs> There's she, no love lost between her and uh and the bride. Apparently they yeah. hate each other. She even tells her, like, I've never liked you. <laughs> Does she come back up in the second one? I don't super remember her. Yeah, most I'm of her story though. is in that second one. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, the, the fight in that her, their fight in that movie is one of the, the big parts of the second one. She gets the call to to cancel the the hit there, and then it jumps four years back <laughs> in time. And that's where she wakes up. You have that mosquito land on her and start drawing her blood. And I guess that's what kind of makes her snap out of it yep. uh, until she hears people start coming in where it's like, if you wake up out of a coma, you would hear people come and you would want to be awake. Right. But yeah, but I guess she's assassin. She's trained, you know, like, eh, I don't, I need to know the situation first. Exactly. And good thing she did, I guess yeah. too, because Apparently, the whole time that she's been asleep, not just her, but I guess everybody in this hospital for four years, the people, the orderlies that work there whore out the coma patients gross. to people. It is super gross, dude. Like, yeah. what the fuck? And uh, it's so gross. He hands them like that gross, dirty bottle of Vaseline, Vaseline and everything. Yeah. Ugh, it's so gross. She's, he's like, she's dry down there. And, ugh, she's dry. Gross. And that's, that's the thing is like they've been doing this to her for four years. That's nuts. And just to think, not just her, but how many other coma patients are they doing this to as well? It's, it's crazy to think about. I mean, I bet you shit like that happens, man. That's what I was going to say bet- is like, who knows how many times that happens in real life? Like I'm sure it does, which is scary. I mean, you hear horror stories all the time about like uh, how people like treat the elderly and like those old folks homes and stuff. Cause they're all yeah. dementia ridden and stuff. Like I'm sure it happens in hospitals. Same type of World's thing. A sick place. Yeah. But, Luckily, she's awake in this one, and she can uh, kind of give these guys her comeuppance here. Because that dude, like, it's the dude from like all those Adam Sandler movies too. That you yeah. see it, <laughs> yeah. Which is funny enough, but yeah, he's like gets on top of her, and like I love how like the camera kind of cuts away, and then you hear him start screaming, and it just cuts back, and she's like pulling his lip off, <laughs> and then it just cuts to her just drops to the floor with blood all over her face and everything. And I love the score in this scene. It's like, it has to be, I mean, from another movie, but it's like a slowly crescendoing, like bells kind of, I love the score in this, but the other guys coming into the room and it's, it goes in like a slow motion as he walks in and it pans down and she's hiding behind the door and she cuts his fucking Achilles tendon and everything. It's one of my worst. I hate that. It's not nearly as bad as some other films that you see it done in. It's 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 super quick. 
But I feel like the next part hurts me worse than that one, where she's fucking slamming his head in the door. Ugh, like Deserves that. It. Oh, for for real. But then and she, she starts remembering. Yeah, she starts remembering everything because she sees like the the keys of like the pussy wagon, and she the sees his name tag that says Buck, and that's and what. The, yeah, the tattoo. Buck, and I like to fuck. fuck. <laughs> and she even says that to him. She's like, your, your name is Buck, right? Keep here, come to, here fuck. to fuck. And I love that next scene. Like she, she fucking flips those sunglasses and puts them on. It's playing like the seventies, like, yeah. like cop type music with like the wah pedal and everything. She's yeah. rolling down the hallway in the wheelchair with her gown, messed up hair, just like those Elvis sunglasses. And they make a big deal here about. And I'm I'm sorry to pick apart this movie. This is a really good movie, but they make a big deal about her feet coming up. That she has atrophy in her feet. She have yeah. atrophy in her arms too. That's what I was saying. That's what I was thinking too. Like, like your arms would not <laughs> right, work that you well. You wouldn't be able to be pushing yourself in that wheelchair, Hell let no. alone like smashing a door to a dude's head or like falling out of bed and catching yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, she might be able to do a little stuff, but like she's like going, like pulling yourself up into a truck. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to be doing that anytime soon. But yeah, right. that's her whole thing as she's sitting there and. You know Quentin Tarantino, he has to have those those foot shots, the foot fetish shots in the mm-hmm. movie. And, you know, close-up shots of her feet. And the first test to uh, get rid of that atrophy is you got to wiggle your big toe. And she's just sitting there kind of staring at her toe. <laughs> wiggle. Just concentration. Wiggle. Just, just wiggle your big toe. That's where you kind of take the time to go in and introduce the like deadly viper assassination hit squad or whatever they're they're Deadliest talking about in the world. Yeah, and it's like the and it goes through the list, and it's like the first name on our list is Oren Ishii, his codename Cottonmouth, and she's like the queen of the Tokyo underworld, which goes into chapter three, which is the origin of Oren Ishii, which is. Not only way different from anything else in this movie, but way different than anything else Quentin Tarantino has done. Because this whole yeah. chapter is pretty much all an anime section, yeah, which is it's an wild. It's a yeah. good anime, too. It's it's pretty good. It is very good. And it's yeah. just, you know, Quentin Tarantino faction. It's balls to the wall and all out gore and everything, too. It's done extremely well. But it pretty much tells the story of Oren Ishii. And she's like, watches her parents get brutally murdered. Like she's hiding under that bed, and like the I guess it's a mob boss that comes yeah. in and like kills her father. I thought he was gonna like rape her. For some reason, I had the memory of her rape him, raping her mom. But he just throws her right. on the bed and yeah. just straight stabs through the through the bed, and that's where you get the blood spatter all over her face, and that's where like that that rage of Oranishi was kind of born there, and and coincidentally, the dude that like murdered her family was a pedophile so as she was getting older she's tr- she trained to kill him and she was ever able to go in i think it was like age 11 or 12 she said yeah. and she went in and murdered the shit out of him in his bed and even like the two dudes that come in she like is underneath the scene. bed popping them all like she shoots awesome. like their whole leg off yeah it's one just shot just blows ball. their foot off <laughs> Yeah. And the other, like and the a... dude falls and sees her underneath the bed and then it has like that pov of the bullet like him, blowing dude. his head off yeah yeah and then it cuts to her like at 18 or 20 and she's like a professional like one of the top assassin women assassins in the world and she like has waiting for that like 
a prime minister or some like high up politician yeah. in that limo and and that's where you see like the bullet fire from the gun and go straight through the windshield and then go through the guy's head <laughs> and yeah. you see like the girls look through the hole in his head <laughs> and then scream and then scream like, yeah like, huh. <laughs> it's very well done though it, it's very well animated um, yeah like why it said though it's so different it is so different than anything else in this movie. It just comes out of nowhere. You're like, oh, I'm watching an anime now. And yeah. it doesn't last long, but it, it it's there. Yeah, I mean, at the way we talk later. about it, it seems like it goes fast, but it does last probably like five, ten minutes of it. Yeah, but yeah. extremely well done for that time. And I mean, and I love the last part of that because it's the shortest chapter of the movie, I feel like. But like the last part, she's like... She did her part in the killing of nine innocent people. She made one big mistake. She should have killed ten. And then it cuts back to her, and she's like, "Wiggle your big toe," and then it starts. She starts wiggling it, and she's like, "All right, now to all the other little piggies. <laughs> Let's yeah. get all these other piggies moving." And then it's like thirteen hours later, and she's driving mm. off. <laughs> like thirteen again, hours to checked. get the rest of your not just your toes, but your legs are working and everything after thirteen hours. Yep. She's a she's a woman of dedication. <laughs> she got this but as soon and this is another thing which is like i'm sure because she was assassin all these fucking years i'm sure she has she's loaded with money but i mean she just woke up out of a coma she got her truck and now she's buying a first class ticket or whatever to okinawa right away yep. getting on the plane so it's like she would have had to go somewhere to get her money what happened to her yeah. like bank accounts and stuff in four years what happens to all that stuff like i feel Definitely. like there's going to be a process behind this you can't just go and scoop your shit and peace out to another country <laughs> i imagine she had it like in a duffel bag somewhere hidden she just yeah. picked it up so this is mine and they're going to be and we talked about like they were going to be looking for like what happened with buck and everything but her body's missing they know who it is they knew yeah who it was most likely There's two dead guys and a missing patient she was <laughs> she's like a jane doe though right see I, that's I part they, it probably is my guess i think is. they say that i think they say she's a jane doe nobody so knows yeah they is. don't really other than knowing what she looks like they don't know yeah. who she is or anything that makes sense yeah but we go to chapter four we're moving right along here and it's called the man from okinawa which is it's, sony chiba <laughs> this, this is the most boring chapter to me I was going to say, as I was watching this, this is where it really kind of slows down for a minute. And I, for the most part, it is pretty entertaining once you kind of get into the scene, especially like the interaction between him and like the dude that helps run the, the restaurant yeah. with him. He's calling him lazy because he's just kind of sitting in the back. He's like, why do I always get the tea? Maybe I want to do the, the sushi. You get the tea. <laughs> and he's like, I've been here so long. He's like, if, if this was the army, I'd be a general or whatever. He's like, what do you want? And he'd still give me the tea. And they get it it gets heated because they're like throwing and he even like throws a knife at the one dude. Like he's just walking out and he's like mocking him and everything. I love just like the little banter, the playful banner between them until like she says like why she's there. She's looking for Hattori Hanzo and he's like all right, she's a little bit more than I expected. Like, there's something about this girl, and that's when, like, she feels like she can actually speak, like, Japanese and everything. Real, uh, big, you... real big vermin. <laughs> yeah, real big vermin. I need you to make me a sword. But then you, you find out that like, he made, like, a blood oath or something. He swore that he was never going to make another sword again. And you find out, like, Bill was 
one of his like apprentices at some point and and that's really why the reason he decides to make a sword for her is because of the vermin she has to go and hunt down and you, i love just that scene because he already he already knows who it is and he just like writes it down he like on the the fogged up window he writes bill yeah he has a whole wall of swords and she's like i don't want you to just I don't want to buy one of your swords. I want you to well, give me a sword. <laughs> it's, it's, like, an, it's an iconic sword. Yeah. Like th- this sword's iconic. This sword, like when you think of like movie swords, is one of the swords I I think of. It's very iconic with the yellow handle and stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And from what I, I, I should have did more research into it, but Hattori Hanzo is a name from one of these old like samurai uh, or Japanese movies. I forget I where it comes from, one. but it is from I somewhere. Do too. But it was like an old Japanese like serial that uh, he just kept being a Tori Hanzo again and again. Like it was like a Tori Hanzo the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth. Yeah. It was the same guy who did it again and again. Mm-hmm. And that's why his joke is, oh, this is a Tori Hanzo the fiftieth, the seventieth, or whatever. It's it's kind of a similar thing he did with Django too, because in the sixty in the fifties and sixties, were there was actual Django movies like old yeah. spaghetti westerns and even in like Django Unchained the dude that played the original Django is in it at some point as a different character uh, but it's like oh there could be like different Django's or whatever and like yeah. kind of how there's different James Bonds and stuff you know exactly it's fine finally because he knows why she's there he decides to make her a sword and I like how he kind of tests her a little bit he throws that baseball she cuts it in half which I, I've read it I'm not sure I didn't see it like in the document because there was like a little like making of but apparently they did that in real time like they actually cut that baseball like the stunt woman did the 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 slicing of the baseball which is zobel which we talked about in death proof uh zobel yeah. is famously not just uma thurman stunt woman but famously has worked with quentin tarantino through all these years and everything but she's she's huge in this movie so i mean you got to give her credit especially a lot of stunt work towards the end of the movie that she does is, yeah. is phenomenal she cuts this baseball first try huh that's cool i, I don't know i don't know if she did it first try but she, hey, she hey. did she cuts the baseball for real apparently uh yeah. but yeah he goes through the process of like making the the samurai sword and you get to see the process and everything he said like the, it takes about a, a whole month for the process to go so my guess is she's just training that whole month getting it down packed and they even have like that little ceremony to pre- present her and everything the the sword and he's like, it's the finest sword that that has ever been made, and it could even cut gods or something. He says, and it's like, yeah. And even like later in the movie, whenever she meets Oren, and she's like, what kind of sword is that? And he's like, oh, Tori Hanzo. She's like, no fucking way, uh-huh. no, no way, not. you lie. <laughs> and then when she finally gets it, she's like, oh, I guess it is. I guess that really is a <laughs> Tori Hanzo sword. But yeah, he gives her the sword on her journey, and which we go right into chapter five. Showdown at the House of Blue Leaves. Right at the beginning of the, the chapter, you get introduced to Sophie Fatal and uh, Gogo and the Crazy 88s. Sophie Fatal is like the right-hand woman of Orenishi. Yeah. You don't it's really like know, but she's like like her translator, her right-hand woman, like her secretary, assistant type thing. She does have a history, I guess, Black Mamba does know her. She wasn't like she was there during the killing, but she didn't take part in the killing. She's not like one of those people, I guess. Yeah, she was uh, just texting. And it's funny because she's played by an actress named Julie Dreyfus. And I was like, mm. that's so weird because like you have Julie Louis Dreyfus from like Seinfeld and everything. Veep Seinfeld, and everything. Like, it's, is it her daughter? I, I, I don't think they're related I, at all, but I it's so weird because I think their names are spelled like damn like similar or if not the same. 
How many Dreyfuses? <laughs> and then you have Gogo, which is like the girl dressed in the schoolgirl outfit and everything. And she's like super dangerous. You don't want to fuck around with her. <laughs> it's and, like crazy. She kills that guy. Yeah. The first time you, cause as, cause black mom is introducing them one by one as like, she yeah. talks about Sophie Patel and where she came from. And then, uh, like Gogo, like she's talking to that dude at the bar, like the creepy yeah. dude, and she's like, "Oh, you want to fuck me?" <laughs> and she, he's like, "Yeah, I guess." Yeah. Or she's like, "You want to penetrate me?" And then she's like, "I'll." And then she like straight up stabs him, and like you see his guts and everything come out. She's like, "I'm the one that penetrated you." <laughs> it's like this bitch is crazy. This dude obviously is a pervert, and it probably got what he deserved. But but man, just spilling his guts at a bar, damn. I mean, you asked. <laughs> yeah, you I asked. I guess, she, I guess she's supposed to be pretty young. That's I, my assumption is that she's underage yeah. and that the dude was, you know, he's like a, a creep. Yeah. yeah. You get introduced like the crazy 88s. You don't really go through like an in-depth thing. That's just the gang Man. that follows them around and everything. There's like but the you, one leader guy you meet. Yeah, which is uh, the same dude f- from the bar. It's the same guy, the same actor uh, from the bar it? that plays like the yeah the other guy, Hatori Hanzo. Jesus, uh, yeah, his partner, the bald dude there. He's the same know. guy that plays like the leader of the the Crady Eighty Eights, and I he actually comes back in Volume Two as the the fucking uh, the master, the dude with the white mm-hmm. hair and the Fu Manchu. He also plays yeah. him in the second one. I mean, okay. I know we're not there, but that is also where that movie grinds to a fucking halt. Yeah. I know we're I mean, not there yet. The, but... the volume two, I don't like it nearly as much as the as the first one, but it's mm. it's still good though. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get yeah, there. we'll get there whenever we talk about that one. But you actually cut to a, a great scene where you get like where Oreni she actually the night where she came into power as like the the leader of the Tokyo Underworld, and like she's got like they're talking, everyone's like celebrating everything. You see like I think it was like Boss Tanaka or whatever his name is, just pissed off because she's like a Japanese Chinese heritage and she like grew yeah. up on like a US base or something. She has like a little like American in her as well. But because of like the gang ties, and everything, not everybody's down with her being, you know, a mix. So, yeah. I mean, he calls her out and everything, which is obviously the wrong thing to do to call your boss out for their heritage. And he immediately gets his fucking head chopped off. <laughs> And I, it's so fast too. Like as soon as he says something, he like he he calls her a name, and you just see her feet running across the table. And yep, do, 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 do. they're in little white socks. The fucking blade just slashing. You see his head rolled, and everybody's freaking out. That one dude at the end, like, oh! But you know, just crazy over top because it shows like the kind of back shot, and you just see this blood just squirting out of his Tarantino esque blood, <laughs> just yeah, squirting just so up much. out of. And you could see it's like a fountain because it's like three streams like in a row yeah. going straight up. It's a great effect though, and I love that line as she's like, "Hey, I'm the leader here." No subject here is too taboo, except for the one we just spoke about tonight. Yeah. Yeah. He holds up his head. Yeah. You'll end up like this fucker right here. Now, if any of you have anything left to fucking say, <laughs> now's the time to say it. And I love that scene. And fucking Lucy Lou, I feel like this is, I don't, you don't see this side of Lucy Lou too often. Like this, I mean, yeah. you see her as a badass in certain movies, but not like this, where she's like a villain type thing. I, I, I don't know. Futurama is Lucy Liu to me. That's what I think of Lucy Liu, <laughs> where it's the head of Lucy Liu. The head of I mean, Lucy. I know she's in like Charlie's Angels and stuff, but that's really she all is. I can uh, think Yeah, of. she's badass in most of the movies she's in, but I'm saying like as a villain and everything, like yeah. it's interesting to I'd see that to side a, of her. 
I'd have to do a dive on her uh, filmography. Yeah, that would be interesting. Films. Yeah. But at this point, the bride heads to Tokyo, who where she uh, and I love that shot where she's flying into Tokyo because it's actually a miniature set of Tokyo. And not only is it a miniature set, but it's actually a miniature set they use for a lot of the Godzilla films. And they actually, of course, it is. Quentin Tarantino got a hold of it and they were able to use it for a lot of those shots where the, the plane's flying down into Tokyo and everything. It's so like, that's another, use it. you know, he had to yeah. use it. And just had to, to have that part of history in there as well, it, it, that's awesome. He was there. He was in Japan. He was like, I, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> I got, use this. I gotta do it. Uh, and obviously with the, the cover and, you know, a lot of the promotion around it, she wears like the black and the yellow jumpsuit, which of course is from like Game of Death, the Bruce Lee movie and everything where he's wearing the, the black and yellow suit. She even has like the helmet to match as she's riding around on the motorcycle. Yeah, and she's, she's like following. Yeah, she's following Sophie, like the the assistant, and then she leads her like straight to like the the house of blue leaves, and that's where like you see Oranishi and her gang show up, and Charlie Brown introduce them. They're kind of dicks these people. Well, I mean, it's so funny they call him Charlie Brown, but he does look like Charlie Brown. He has the bald head, and even like the yellow, yeah, Yeah, the yellow like gee or whatever and squiggly line like belt that goes around his waist so it looks like the charlie brown shirt and everything you want her to be more honorable than she is she's not honorable she's like her whole gang's a dick they're all a bunch of dicks yeah and she's sitting there just laughing at everything yeah but they're ordering shit that's not even at the the place they're at he's like we don't have that (laughs) and the the woman that's like with them keeps like just make them happy make them happy like you know what happened to the other people like (laughs) Like she, I forget what the story was, but they, these people mean business. Like if you disobey them, they'll kill you. Because whenever they get there and they walk in, she's already sitting there at the bar when the can pan, the camera pans over. But she goes upstairs and she's like listening through the screen to what they're talking about. And she just turns around and throws a dart through there. That could have been just an innocent dude walking to the bathroom. Just gets stuck in the neck with one of those <laughs> darts. Uh, but she sends Go-Go out and like, She's looking around and like the camera pans up and she's just hanging on the ceiling. It's like nobody else in this whole restaurant saw her just jump yeah, up. Just... <laughs> What's that chick doing? Like someone down on the bottom just like looking around like what in the world? What is Some she kid. Doing? <laughs> Feet don't reach just like mommy. <laughs> and like I feel like in most movies when someone does something like that, that's when you would get like the drop of sweat or what? blood yeah. that drips down and like something like alert somebody. It. And here is one of probably one of the most creative shots that doesn't really get talked about. I feel with Kill Bill, and it's one long one shot tracking of the bride walking to the bathroom and goes in like to the train, the the changing room. And I don't know how they did this effect in one shot, but as soon as she walks into that room, it goes to like a you can see through the stall where yeah. she's like getting ready and everything. But then it like cuts, at, it goes out, and it's following like Charlie Brown and the other woman. As they're walking out, and as soon as they walk out, then it follows Sophie back in through the into the bathroom and everything, and then it goes into like an overhead shot where you're looking through like the hallway into like the different rooms and like the kitchen and the bathroom and stuff. But that's all one long continuous shot going through that hmm. whole thing, and apparently it took like a whole day to to memorize that and get it planned out and get it choreographed and everything. But they were able to they do it. Do. And the most mind boggling thing is that when it goes to her in the changing room where it just because it looks like it's a solid piece of like wood or a screen there but as soon as she walks into that room it goes like clear where you can see her clear as day it's so weird i don't know if it's like a screen they like pulled or what but you you can't even notice it Hmm. 
I'll have to rewatch. I didn't even I didn't even notice it was one shot. Yeah, it's, it's one continuous shot, but that's where like Sophie walks in the bathroom and that's where she hears the ringtone because as she whenever she's talking about Sophie, she sees her sitting there as she's getting beaten and you shot know, and yeah. everything and that's where she hears the ringtone. And you specifically hear it in that shot because it comes back in this shot and that's how yeah. she knows Sophie's in that bathroom. And that's where you get that fucking great shot of Oren Ishii and her gang kind of hanging out and laughing and you hear her get called out like, Oren Ishii! And she walks out and she's fucking holding her there and she's already bloody. You don't know what happened yeah. to her. But like, we got some unfinished business and she just fucking chops her arm off. <laughs> Spraying blood everywhere, dude. And she's screaming bloody murder on the floor, just rolling around. <laughs> Everyone's flooding out of the rest, out of like the, the restaurant, I guess it is. But everyone's she's like, everybody out. get out except you. Except you, Sophie. Except you, Sophie. You stay right the fuck where you are. You stay are. right the fuck where you are. <laughs> but yeah, this is obviously probably the the biggest set piece yeah. of the movie and probably the most memorable moment of the movie because this is one huge fight scene for the next like 20 minutes yeah. <laughs> or so, but it's like broken up into different parts. This first part you have like her her, her close well, it's her for her close little bodyguards for a minute. She oh. kills them and then Gogo comes down and she actually kind of meets she her match her for a little bit. She gets her ass kicked because Gogo has that big ass ball on a chain that has yeah. blades popping out of it and shit. Apparently during one of the takes where like she had to like swing it around and kick it at the camera, apparently it cracked Tarantino in the head while he was directing. <laughs> I wish there was some footage like if they had the outtake of that or something, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, she gets her ass kicked in this one and she even gets like towards the end, she gets strangled out. out. Yeah. With the chain or her, her face is red and you can see her eyes like bub good bubbling up and good everything. Makeup effect. Yeah. But a lot of the shots too are just great when they're like jumping and sliding across the tables and jumping in between the tables, fighting each other and breaking the legs off. And that's how she ends up like killing go-go's with like the, the leg with the nails in it just she smacks it into her foot and then smacks it into the side of her head and you see like the blood going down her eyes and everything yeah, very artistic death yeah very artistic and i love like a lot of those shots were like so weird and cartoony too like the way she's like throwing the ball and it like gets whipped back and you just see the shot of the ball with everything moving in the background it's like very yeah. like a 70s or 60s type shot but you have like the one time when the she kicks the ball back and it hits Gogo in the chest, it makes like a bowling pin noise. Like, and it's so weird just to have that inserted there. But it's like very like comical, like cartoony sound effects at certain parts of the fight. It's so weird. Yeah, this this is a pretty fun scene. They're not this whole fight leading up into her one on one fight is is kind of comical. They're like she's like jumping on things and they're bending and she's snapping back. You know, like it's it's like <laughs> set to eleven. It's all kind of like running fun up fights. Like, uh, like the stairway rail and everybody everything. runs up towards her and then she comes down and everybody runs down it it's like yeah <laughs> she went through it through that fight but now she has to take on the crazy 88s it's and flooding in I, i'm not sure if there's actual 88 people in this fight or not but i would assume there is i'd assume there is but like we talked about very early in the review they start fighting a little bit, and as soon as she snatches that dude's eye out of his fucking face, that's when it turns to black and white. And like we talked about, it it had to do with the MPAA, but it was also had to do with like kind of the artistic choice, like a kind of a reference to those old uh, kung fu like samurai movies and everything. 
But this is probably one of the best fights in the fucking movie. It's just her just going all out with these dudes. And even you can watch the colorized version on YouTube, but even the black and white, you see just blood just spraying and flying everywhere. I don't know what we can say. It's like a 10 minute fight scene, but it's like. I don't know how to like describe it, you but it, it really. is cool. Yeah, like you just got to see it. It, the it one is what the movie part, is. She's like spinning for. around on her back, swinging <laughs> the swords, cutting people's legs off. <laughs> A yeah. lot of ridiculous shit in this. Like, yeah, like you said, she jumps and like the bamboo helps her like come yeah, down like, easily and then she snaps it back up into the dude's face <laughs> smacks him it's it's kind of comical it is there's a lot of comical stuff in it i mean the the violence itself is comical as hell the just fuck? the the amount of blood that and like that spraying and just the amount of violence is it's it's done to a a, a you know ridiculous degree at this point and nobody in this crazy 88s has a fucking gun nobody Nobody at all. I mean, as even when they're coming in on their motorcycles, they have their katanas in like a side yeah. sheath, which is it, we're cutting ahead a little bit. But even on, on the plane to Tokyo and on the plane, he has at the a end katana. The, not just her, but everybody in the plane. Yeah, everybody katana. in the plane. On, when she's on her way home, even the other passengers have katanas sitting next to them. It was like this everybody just owns katanas in Japan. Way pre nine eleven. Way pre. <laughs> They were like, oh, I got a sword, bring it on. That's fine. They don't they don't use guns. They they do it the old fashioned way still. They use katanas. Man, I don't I don't know if this woman came to the top of the criminal <laughs> empire of Japan and doesn't like not one person has a fucking gun. <laughs> not one. This put she couldn't have been top for very long. <laughs> we forgot to mention uh too about the the, the five, six, seven, eights. Uh whenever oh, the, band? At, the yeah. band that's coming in. And it, cause when this movie came out at the time, because of that ba- that band in this song. movie, that song was everywhere. It was in like I forget what phone company it was, but they kept using it in all their commercials and everything. But that song the, was everywhere. On the documentary hoo-hoo. I watched, it said about how he got that. Yeah, he was he like, like he was in Tokyo at like a music store or something, right? Yeah, and he, he was getting on his plane, and he, like, went in, and he was like, I want this. What's this plane? He's like, oh, no, this is a store copy. He wasn't at a music store. He was at another store. Yeah. And they were like, you can just go down to the music store and get it. And he was like, no, no, no. I'm leaving in, like, 10 minutes. I want that copy. And he paid him, like, 40 bucks or something for it. And yeah. I was like, I got to call my manager, but all right. And then he went so, and he got him like, in the movie. It. I want that one. Yeah. They so flew him out and everything. Flew him out, got him in the movie, and, I mean – they they became a huge like overnight hit at that point. I mean, you don't haven't heard much from them since. But I mean, I don't know if they're still huge or not over there or not. So who yeah. knows? But yeah, there's really not much to say about the fight. That I mean, it's hard. You can't just go through and describe everything. But it is yeah. probably one of the most entertaining action sequences you're probably going to see <laughs> in these, in one of these types of movies. I, like every time action. I watch it, it's you know it's the highlight of the movie though. Oh, it's not my favorite fight, but it is my favorite fight's next. But okay, it, that's my favorite fight. Um, but it is it's fantastic. It, I mean, it's a love letter to 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 action films and stuff like that, man. Yeah, I mean, that's what so many like, references. So, it's what he's so good at, and and he really like dives into it. And if you go there to see an action film, the scene is the pinnacle of it. It's, it's, yeah, it's what it leads up to. And the way that it ends too is even better because like it goes up the stairs into that room where they fucking the light shut off and it's just black and white and it's just oh. like the side shot and it just looks like shadows fighting and you can still see blood like 
flying everywhere, but it's it's all black and white, black and blue, and it's oh, it's it's so beautiful, man. I love that shot, how it's done. And I, I love at the end when it's one guy left and she <laughs> cuts the sword down, on. and it's like a kid. <laughs> she puts her over her knee and starts smacking his ass with the sword. She's like, "Get out of here!" <laughs> Did it, your mother tell you to stop <laughs> fucking around with the jacuzzis or whatever? <laughs> yeah, don't fuck around with the yuku. Like I'm sure some of those Gogo we already said was he a goes kid. She was cool on her. <laughs> yeah, holding his ass. Why was that kid okay not to kill? She killed Gogo. Gogo was a kid. It's it's funny because I didn't notice. I don't think it's in the regular cut, but when I watched the the colorized version on YouTube of like the whole bloody affair. Mm-hmm. There's an added scene right in the middle of the fight whenever like not long after it starts where she runs into that kid while they're fighting and he's like shocked whenever it's his turn and she like grabs him and like flips him out of the way. She doesn't kill him or anything, but she spares his life twice in this fight. Jeez, he, man. But I, I think they cut that out because I don't remember it whenever I was watching it through the first time. Yeah, I don't think I remember that either. Just the but, second part where she beats his ass. We already talked about it before, like how he shows that cut in his theater, which it seems like he's only going to keep it like that. Because I don't think he's planning on releasing it on Blu-ray or, you know, anywhere else. I think he specifically wants people to go see that cut at his theater if they can. Uh, we're going we're gonna to have to do it, Why? <laughs> Take a trip to L.A. to go see <laughs> the whole bloody affair. I'll do it. I'll that would be sweet. It. It'd be cool. But we are on the last portion of the movie here pretty much which is the Orenishi and this is I don't know how this set takes place because when she walks out it's snowing now and it's, yep. it looks completely set different from the outside streets you see like earlier in the movie so I don't know snow, if it's like a, if it's ends. its own little room or what but yeah. I don't know I, I don't know if it's it a great set piece it is well, a great it, it set snows piece. at the end like whenever you see her with Sophie in the trunk and everything it's snowing when she takes her to the mm. hospital but yeah, it, it wasn't snowing like earlier when she's driving through Tokyo and everything so it must have snowed pretty hard while she was in there fighting these people and nobody's dressed like it's winter nobody nobody <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all she's in a motorcycle in like a like a suit like it's got to be freezing if it's cold enough to snow <laughs> but yeah she goes outside and I love the set piece it just looks I like a, a Japanese garden just covered in snow and for the most part, it's silent except for like that little water thing that tilts down. You hear like the bamboo hit whenever it drop, dop, dumps the water out. And like, oh, Ren even says, like, well, I hope you saved enough some energy. <laughs> it's like, she got plenty. And it's like, it feels like when she says that, it feels like a video game too. Cause I just you go like through all boss. this fight. Yep. And now it's a final boss time. And he's like, oh, shit. Now you had to hope you saved your energy for this. I almost feel like this scene should have been black and white. I feel like it would have been like really. Oh really man! Black. I mean, it's done very well, and there's not a lot of color in it because it is snowing out. It's it's mainly like whites and grays and blacks. But mm-hmm. I think this would have been cool black and white. I think it would have been awesome in black and white. It even plays some of that old old style mm-hmm. like kung like samurai music too as as they're like staring each other down and like they have the first couple hits of the blade and everything. I don't think. I wish the fight would go on a little longer. Every time uh, I watch it, I feel like it's every time it feels like it just gets cut a little too short. And I'm like, Oh man, I wish we would have got a little bit more of that. But cause you only really yeah. get like two little, like little bouts together and then it's over. Uh, cause that first little bit, that's where Orenishi has the one up. She ends up like slicing her like across yes. the back and back. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like laying there in the, the snow. And that's when Oren like, 
taunts her a little bit. She's like, <laughs> Silly Caucasian girl likes to play with samurai swords. It shows you how much, how seriously they take like just battle and, and tradition and stuff. Cause even like whenever she gets the one up on her the next time, she's like, I apologize for the remarks I made earlier or whatever. Like she immediately apologizes like that. That yeah. was wrong of me. Like there's a little bit of respect though, between them. Cause as, as you find out like through the movie and even through the second one, you find out that when they were together in that group, the deadly Viper assassination squad, they were like best friends in that group. So it's really two best friends squaring off against each other at the very end of a movie. So there's a lot of motion behind it. There's some hatred too on both sides in a way, but yeah, yeah. I mean the way that it ends though, just that the, the, the swords clash and you have that one slice where she like turns her back and slice and you just see like the top of her head floating through the air. And that's such a great shot of her just sitting there with like the top of her head missing. And missing. Like, Brain's that real... still there though. Brain's yeah, and it's still yeah. like rounded. It's not like cut through the top, but yeah. <laughs> She's like, she, oh, that she really is a Hatori Hanzo sword. <laughs> just falls, brain falls just out. Just drops and yeah, they should have showed that as and when she <laughs> falls, the brain brain just rolls out. <laughs> this is a fight. We just came off of a fight that was just so high energy with the Crazy 88. This yeah. one really is very somber, very kind of... It takes its time. Playing. It takes its time. It's one-on-one. I actually like that it's kind of short. It's it's like, it's quick. That's how it would be, man. You're in a sword fight. You don't True. get too many slices, you know? Yeah. So I, I like that it's kind of short. It, it's like punctuation. Yeah, and I can't have too many complaints. We literally just had a 15, 20-minute f- literal fight scene of her destroying yeah. other people we can take our time and have a little, you know, shorter fight scene with them. That's only because you've been building up to already. Yeah. She, this whole time, that's the only reason you want it drawn out a lot. Maybe a little bit more like not cinematic, but a, a little bit more action oriented in there. But I think it was perfectly done. I'm not going to sit here and, you know, yeah. second guess Quentin Tarantino's decisions. I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not qualified do that. to do that. <laughs> And it's not over yet, folks. You just have the little bit of wrap up here. If I had to change one thing about this movie, it would probably be the very end here is how I would change it. Just just a little bit. And I understand why they did it. Oren is crossed off the list. She's on the plane back to uh, to America and everything. But it's showing you kind of what happens in between. She ends up putting Sophie in the trunk and she pops open the trunk. She has her helmet on and everything. And she even tells her, like, I, I kept you alive for two reasons. And as it's she's telling her this, it cuts to like Sophie in the hospital with Bill behind her, holding her shoulder, like, and she's relaying this information to Bill while the while this is happening, it's cutting back and forth. And the two reasons she's kept alive is one for information on the squad and where to find them, and two is is to tell Bill exactly everything that she knows, tell her everything that she told her, tell her everything that she knows already. And just pretty much to inform him that she's coming for him and everybody. Yeah. And, and I love that scene. And I wish it would end right here where I, at the very end where she's sitting there looking into the trunk. And I love that shot because you see it in like Pulp Fiction. You see it in mm-hmm. Reservoir Dogs. I'm pretty sure of just that shot that in the trunk looking up. I want them all to know. They'll all soon be as dead as a red. I feel like if it would have cut the credits there when she shuts the trunk, it would have been the perfect ending, man. Like, I'm coming for Bill, and I want them to know I'm coming. And that's the perfect book ending. But because you split it up into two movies, 
you do have a little bit of a cliffhanger you do want to kind of throw in there. And that's the little, the tiny little line at the very end when it cuts back to Bill with Sophie, where she's, where he asks her, is she aware that her daughter is still alive? And that's when it cuts the credits where it's like, you knew that she had a, a child this whole time because whenever she wakes up in the hospital, that's the first thing she does. She's holding her stomach. She's crying. And you found out she was pregnant. I mean, even whenever yeah, they tell the, you. the cops are at the investigating thing, they said that she was pregnant. But at the very end, you find out that her daughter is alive. And apparently Quentin Tarantino forgot that could have been a thing. That was a last minute thing he kind of put in there because he's like, oh, shit, I, I can make the daughter alive. I, like, she doesn't have to be Why dead. Uh, but that apparently that was a last minute thing he kind of threw in there. I, I understand why they put it in there. Give a lot of, I mean, everybody I wants know. to come back to see him, her kill Bill anyway. That's the point of the movie. But I guess it's just another little thing to keep people wanting to come back. But I feel like a perfect bookend for the movie would have been her. In the trunk. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think that's enough. Like, you have a movie called Kill Bill. We barely got to see Bill or anything. So just the final line of like, I'm coming for him. So then as a moviegoer, you're like, oh, shit, I get to see Bill next time. Let's go. You know, yeah. Like, now and it gets you it gets you hype. I mean, yeah, at the I mean, it's more of an oh, shit moment as it is right now. where you are like, oh, shit, her daughter's alive. Whereas like at the very end, if you would end it with the trunk with her saying that you're like, oh, shit, I can't wait. Like, give me Let's part go. two. I'm, I'm ready. I, I don't know. Maybe that's how I don't know. Maybe it's different in the. uh the the full version he has the whole bloody cut. affair maybe he has it yeah. kind of cut a little differently there i do hear I've, I've read about the whole bloody affair before i think it, there's a lot like in the middle that he he rearranged and stuff you know yeah apparently the anime scene apparently there's some added to that that he cut mm. out for them the the theatrical release apparently he adds some more into that i don't know i didn't really go into it into depth about it but yeah, there is. I would love to see that four-hour cut, though, if we can get our that's hands a, on it sometime. That's a fucking, uh, that's a trip, Wyatt. Yeah. The one thing we didn't mention, though, is at the very end of the movie, because we'd mentioned him at the, when we were going through the cast, Some Michael trailer. Madsen, you get him, you see him throughout the, when they're talking about the deadly assassination Viper Squad or whatever, but you actually hear him at the very end whenever she's on a plane back to America. It cuts to a scene from volume two where he's sitting at his trailer in the desert and he's like, the woman deserves her revenge and we deserve to die. That was the quote that he has. It was just kind of thrown in there. I don't think that necessarily needed to be in there as well, but that was a scene from volume two and Michael Madsen wasn't in the movie at all. Throw have him have a line in there, give him some money in there for yeah, any time the movie's shown. Yeah, get some residuals off that, you know. But that is Kill Bill Volume One. Just talking about it makes me want to watch it again. I fucking love this movie so much, and it's it's such a amazing love letter to the genre films. It's just you know, for pretty much everything. There's a little bit of everything in this movie, but it mainly covers like the the old kung fu and uh, samurai yeah. uh, movies of the past. And it's it's phenomenal. It it is also one of my. I mean, I I do love it. Um, you seem to love it a little more than me. I would say I don't watch it yearly. Um, but I do watch it every few years. I I really like it. Yeah, You're I wouldn't right. say I watch, I watch it watch... yearly, but it's, yeah. it's. I would say this is top two, Tarantino for me. I would say it's. I go back and forth between this and Django is probably my my number one. I love Django. I know he just wrote it, but man, Dust Till Dawn is like it's just my jam. I watch that I know, movie dude. yearly. I watched uh, every a couple months ago. I watched uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and 
I, I fell in love with it again. I was like, damn, this yeah. movie is so fucking good, dude. It's so good. We went and saw it together. I, I know. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel like it's a, every time I watch a Tarantino movie, I'm like, damn, this is so fucking good, man. I'm with I, you, man. Even in Glorious Bastards, which isn't one of my favorites. I do like it. Yeah. Uh, but even every time I watch that, that scene, the begin- he has such a knack for, like, character dialogue talking that keeps it interesting. Yeah. Like, Pulp Fiction's got a lot of it, even though Pulp Fiction's not one of my favorites either, but it's got a lot of, like, great interactions. And this is almost a departure from that with those interactions in it. We talked about some of those Mm -hmm. awesome dialogue set pieces, but this is, like, this is probably his most action-forward film, right? I mean, this or Django. Oh, yeah. Even Django. I mean, at the end's kind of... I would say this one's probably the the most, yeah, yeah. action-oriented. I forgot to mention this line. It's, it's one of my favorites in the movies. Whenever she gets done fighting the crazy 88s, and she's like, for those that still have your lives, take them with you. And she's like, but eat, leave your limbs. Those are mine. Those <laughs> and I was like, that's such a fucking awesome line. It's so badass. Comes out with a necklace full of arms. Just like... <laughs> yeah, more like a bag of like arms, <laughs> arms and legs and shit. These are but, mine. I'm taking them home. She could probably get it on the plane with the katana. She's like, nah, these are fine. <laughs> but yeah, I cannot say enough good things about this movie. I mean, every single time I watch it, you know, I love it. The love for it grows more and more. Part two, not so much. I mean, normally I watch part two back back to back when I watch yeah. the first one. I didn't this time just because I didn't feel like watching part two that right away. But I don't know. Part two, it's, just, it's, it's a whole different movie from this I'm one. I'm actually... So, excited to watch part two when we do it um i've seen it less than the first one um i do remember it but i've definitely seen it less um so i'm excited Mm -hmm. to watch it yeah it's definitely more of a slower movie than this one is um yeah but i mean we'll probably get to that one here maybe i don't know about soonish but we'll we'll Uh, get to it here eventually didn't you say it came out six months after this one so we'll do it in six months did but i i don't remember when it was in point of a what point of the year? Because I think it came out the following year. Like one came out in like 2004, one came out in 2005. There you go. This time next year we'll do it. This time next year we'll do Kill Bill Volume 2 for probably it's the 20th anniversary. So That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we'll just do that one next year. It's hard to say something that hasn't been said about this movie because I feel like so many people dissect not only Kill Bill but Quentin Tarantino movies in general at this point because of his love for movies and incorporating all these other movies into his stuff. So, I mean, I feel like so many people pick these kind of things apart. There's probably fucking college classes about Tarantino yeah. stuff and books. And there's books about it. So it's hard there's to talk a, about stuff yeah. that hasn't been talked about when it comes to these type of movies. There's a reason <clears throat> he is considered one of the greatest directors of our generation. And yeah. it's for films like this, you know, even as somebody who I'm not that big into Kung Fu movies and stuff. That's not really my jam. They're more your jam. Not that I don't like them. It's just not really my thing. Mm-hmm. I love this film. It's still a great film for me. I'm like, this is awesome, you know? So yeah. to have that on top of having, like, a love letter to action films and stuff, you know? Like, I couldn't imagine watching it through those goggles. I already like it enough, and I don't have those goggles on. Yeah, and and like we said before, what makes Tarantino movies great is the, the you know everything obviously but the dialogue the cinematography and also the music that he uses and i feel like if you say if you keep everything in this movie the same but you put like an artist just do custom music for it it wouldn't have been the same i feel like yeah. if you would what makes this movie 
how it is is the music choices that are used throughout that gets you hype in certain moments or gets you into the the feeling of that certain scene yeah. it's it's masterfully done and i feel and that's why i feel the same way about django is just the way that the, the song choices and exact and where they're they're put throughout the movie it works perfectly and it's hard for a director to make one or two masterpieces in the, in their yeah. lifetime but for tarantino to have consistently amazing movie after amazing movie i mean it's it's pretty much unheard of you you only have spielberg level. A, a, yeah it's spielberg level scorsese level like there's only yeah. a handful of directors that have done pretty much a, their whole body of work has been great it's, you don't get to see it very often and to have that within our lifetime to, to witness cool. that and also yeah. maybe see the end of it here coming up soon. It, it, I mean, it's like he says himself, every time he releases a movie, he wants it to be like, it wants, he wants it to be a big ordeal. He wants it to be a big thing. Like, Oh shit, there's a new Tarantino movie coming out. So, I mean, if, if number 10 is his last one, I, I'm going to be there opening day. Like I would be any other time, but it's going to be a little, a little bittersweet though. A little bittersweet. It is. Did, am I making this up? <clears throat> Didn't somebody from the Wu Tang do the music with him? The RZA. If there yeah, is, there's so. small parts of original music, kind of yeah. spliced throughout. But yeah, the RZA did the music through I this one, so. and I believe in the second one as well. I believe I know he did for this one. But yeah, RZA yeah. did a lot of the custom, the original music in it though. Because uh, he's there, really, there's not much, know, but yeah. Uh, Cause he's really into like the Kung Fu action scene. That's kind of his shtick. Yeah. That's definitely yeah. his thing. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody listening. You got to watch it if you haven't. Yeah. Our if, rambling if, if for is some reason you're about. watching, if you're watching this, you haven't seen Kill Bill volume one, you need to watch it immediately upon finishing this up, ep- this, this review. Cause it, it, it is fucking fantastic. dude. I can't recommend yeah. enough. And as uh, how we normally do like a buy it, rent it or miss it. I'm a hundred percent going to say, buy it. You need to add buy this movie it. to your collection. Since it's Tarantino's birthday, we'll, Happy birthday, Mr. Tarantino. Uh, He did say that even though he's going to be done making movies at at number 10, he says that he's still going to be writing books, and he actually has some TV series in the works as well. So he will be directing TV at certain points. Uh, He just won't be making films, I guess. So we will be be getting some Tarantino stuff going forward. Because, like, I know there's plenty of movies he wrote that he didn't direct, so I hope he keeps writing. He's a good writer. You know? Well, yeah. well, he's he's planning a TV series right now. He said, uh, "Well, he's All making right. that that tenth movie, but he's also planning on making a TV series. He's writing and directing." What about uh, Star Trek? I, th- I heard Star Trek was happening. I don't think I don't think Star Trek's happening, man. Right. I don't. That'd I, be cool. I don't think Kill Bill Volume Three is happening unless he makes it in like a a, a TV miniseries or something. Maybe I don't. That know. would be cool. Release on HBO like a six part. Maybe or that will be his Star Trek. Maybe it'll be like. Because it won't be a film, he'll make it like a TV yeah. series, miniseries or something. I'll be with it. I limited, want to see Alien series. Just <laughs> shooting everywhere. Yeah, so so hopefully, if even if he's done making movies, he'll continue to make TV series and uh and write books. I have two of his books, and I haven't even read them yet. One of them is right is this one right here, uh, Cinema Speculation. The other one is the 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 novel of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I haven't read yet. But apparently, uh-huh. it it goes even more in depth more so than the movie it adds a lot of stuff movies. to them 
to the, the really lore of the movie and everything. Yeah, apparently there's a lot more added to it in the book. So I'm interested in reading. I'm planning on reading that over the summer because it's. Yeah, I love how it, it's like an old '70s trade paperback, like how it looks yeah. and everything. You know, Tarantino fashion. He had to make it look old and, and everything. So looks cool. It it looks super cool. So I'm definitely going to look forward to reading that and. I cannot wait for his next movie and, and future projects as well. Happy birthday, Quentin Tarantino. Happy birthday, Quentin Tarantino. Thank you, thank for, you for everything. Yeah, thank you for everything you've done, man. I mean, I'm going to be watching these movies un- until the day I die, I'm sure. So, <laughs> Me too. Where can everybody find you here, Alex? You can always find me on Tap Fat, and I'm always excited to be on the Cinema Trip channel. All right, and make sure to like, share, and subscribe here as well. Make sure to go follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cinema Trip Reviews. Go check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a good review there as well. And we will see everybody next week.